If you have not received the little white piece of paper, raise your hand and my sweet sister and my bride of almost 54 years will get you one. This is not something to make your grocery list with, uh, although you can, but if, if you do, leave the other side available because we're going to have a little activity at the end uh, for you to do. And if you don't have a pen, uh, let them know they've got a bunch of pens here too. So. Uh, we'll uh, get that done. Um, being a preacher myself, I, I realize that if I don't watch that clock, and I'm glad there's one there, uh, I could get carried away too. So uh, back when I was doing services for 10 years in the desert of Arizona, my wife and I started a, sort of a church in the desert down amongst the RVers that are camped out in the desert in Arizona for 10 winters. And uh, she was my clock. She'd be sitting down front and I'd look down and she'd be going, oh yes, time, time to close down, so we'll be quick. Let me open with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Today we're going to have an opportunity to come up to a higher level in our walk with the Lord, an opportunity to spend more of life in what I call kingdom living. Now, the Bible describes kingdom living in Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God it describes as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And by that, talking about righteousness, we know who we are in Christ. Peace is the kind of peace that Jesus was talking to his disciples about in, that, uh, on, on, in the room where they had communion and whatnot before he was crucified. He said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, my peace. And the joy that he was talking about is not the joy like the world gives us when we're up when our circumstances are up and down when our circumstances are down. No, Jesus was talking about the kind of joy we can have now that is that calm delight, no matter what your circumstances are. And that's why Paul could be beaten, flogged, in a Roman prison in chains at midnight, and what's he doing? Singing praises to God. Now, that's the kind of joy and peace that we can have in the Lord. Today you're going to have an opportunity to come up a little higher in that. <clears throat> I want to share a personal story with you. We note in today's world that there's a lot of anger. All you have to do is turn on the, the television news or pick up the paper. There's a lot of anger out there. I didn't realize it until about five years ago. There's actually an anger index in this country. It was started 20 years ago and each year it's gone up. Again, not surprising. Well, um, I want to share a personal story with you. My wife and I had a daughter, Linda, was age five, and after prayer we decided we really didn't want to have just one child, that we really ought to have more. So we put in to adopt uh, one older than ours. And after not hearing anything for a year, we thought, well, I guess that's not God's will. Well, after a year, the adoption agency called up and they said, hi, you still interested in adoption? We said, yeah. It's okay, how would you like two? Two? Wow, that's a lot more than one. So we prayed about it, and into our life came Nancy, age seven at the time, our own daughter, Linda, had turned six, and Robin, age four. Now, the adoption worker told us that just be prepared that sometime in these girls' lifetime, probably around adolescence, what they have gone through is going to come out. Now, what she meant was, these girls were seven and four, and they had been in 12 
foster homes in the last four years. And they were changed because of all kinds of reasons. A lot of it had to do with all kinds of physical, mental, emotional, and sexual abuse. So you can imagine what the baggage these little girls had. And Robin, bless her heart, was, you know, she went in the foster system when she was uh, about three months old. She's the youngest, I want to focus on her. <clears throat> when, Robin, when the girls came to us, we realized they were both intelligent, but Robin showed us early on that she was not only intelligent, but she had a number of gifts in a number of areas. When she was in the third grade, she and her older sister decided they would co-write a story for a national elementary magazine called Cobblestones. And uh, they co-wrote the story, and Robin illustrated the pictures, sent it in, and they got a National Merit Award. And then about a year or so later, she decided she wanted to take organ lessons. Well, thank you, Jesus, for yard sale. So we went and got a little used home organ, and the organist at our church decided to give her lessons. Well, she'd taken lessons less than a year, and she composed a communion hymn. Wow, that was amazing. Then she decided she wanted to to uh, take a, an art class. Well, now, my ability in art, if I could take a ruler and draw a straight line two out of three times, I consider that pretty artistic for me. That's about the level of my gift. But people who are knowledgeable in that area tell me that oils is a difficult medium to work in. Well, that, she decided her first picture was going to be in oils, and it, it was going to be something else, I guess, is very hard, a seascape, which I guess is difficult to paint because of the way the light hits the water and the waves. And she didn't do a little one. She did a four feet by five foot one. And it was just, you know, it was just amazing. Well, <clears throat> shortly after that, uh, what the uh, caseworker told us began to come true. She started backing away. She just went into this period of withdrawal. And it was uh, what psychologists call that uh, uh, resistance, you know, where you, you just, nothing, nothing you can do, you know, they won't do anything, and, you can, and I don't care what you do to them, you know, they won't do anything for you. She wouldn't attend church, she wouldn't attend daily devotions, she just backed away from all her college-bound friends, and we were really concerned, we about wore out our knees, you know, worrying about whether or not she was even going to finish high school. But she did finish high school, praise God, and about a month or two later, she called us up, and uh, she'd been living in an apartment with a, with a girlfriend, and she'd been working as a maid in a motel, which is a perfectly fine job. But I knew with someone with her talents and abilities, it wouldn't be very fulfilling very long. So she called us up, and she said, hey, guess what, Dad? I said, what? She said, I joined the Navy. I said, you what? Yeah, I joined the Navy. I said to my wife, oh, this is going to be good. Somebody that you can't tell anything to, and she's going to join the Navy, where they tell you to do everything. I give her maybe, with a little luck, two weeks before they wash her out. Well, by the grace of God, she finished her boot camp. And uh, I said, well, gee, Robin, that is so great. I said, now, what's your rank? I don't know much about rank in the Navy. She said, I'm an engineman three, Dad. I said, engineman three? I didn't know they had railroads in the Navy. You go, no, 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 Dad, they don't, that's not a railroad. I work in a boiler room on a submarine tender. And I thought, that sounds a little like greasy, oily, you know, not, not a real clean kind of a thing. She said, oh, no, she says, yeah, it is a real greasy job. And when they have trouble <clears throat> down below in the pipes, because I'm the tiniest one, I have to get down there and clean everything. And I come up to the top, and I'm covered with oil from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And in my mind's eye, I remember this girl for, for years, always standing in front of a mirror, 
every hair had to be in place, everything had to be perfect, I said, okay, who are you and what have you done to my daughter, Robin? <laughs> amazing, amazing. And she would come home from the Navy, and every time she came, she would bring a fine young man, but I, I started noticing that each one she brought seemed to be a different race, a different culture, or a different color. And she would just watch me like a hawk. Now, I don't know what she was expecting to find, but fine young men, all of them. Well, one day, my mother was visiting, and my mother came from a Scandinavian background, and about the most rousing thing you'd get from them is oofta, if any of you know any Scandinavians. I mean, that was about the maximum of the excitement. So we're in the kitchen one day, and uh, Robin calls, and she said, are you sitting down, Dad? I said, no. She said, well, you better sit down. Okay, so we sat down. And she said, well, I want you to meet someone. I said, okay, who's that? She said, my fiancé. Oh, your fiancé. Yeah. She said, we want to come back and we want to get married in your backyard. And I said, oh, you want to get married in our backyard? I'm sort of parroting everything from everybody in the room. And my mom goes, oh, thank you, God. I said, wow, mom, that was something. And then she goes on to say, and we want to get married on your birthday. Oh, you want to get married on my birthday? My mom's going, thank you, Jesus. I thought, okay, who slipped some Red Bull energy drink into mom's coffee? I mean, this is just unbelievable. So we finished the conversation, and I said, Mom, I've never seen you so excited. And she said, as only a mother can to her son, don't you get it? I said, I guess I missed something. What am I missing? She said, she's coming back. She's reaching out. She's re-embracing your values. She wants to get married in your backyard by you on your birthday. I'm going, oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, okay, I get it. Let's do this thing. So we planned the wedding, and they flew out from Connecticut and got there about a week early. And uh, uh, we had just a great time. I mean, every time she sat down, he would hold her chair. And after they finished the meal, he would pick up his plate off the table, scrape it off in the garbage, rinse it off, put it in the sink. I said, Robin, where did you find this guy? I thought I was the only one in the world still like that. Wow, amazing. And then two days before the wedding, his mom came, Connie. What a sweetheart. My goodness, it was great. So we had this wonderful wedding. They barred our little pickup, went over to the Oregon coast. If you didn't know, I'm from Oregon. My bride and I are both from Oregon. And they went over the Orient Coast, had a honeymoon, flew back to New London, Connecticut. And then three months later, on Thanksgiving Day, he strangled her to death. Wow. Talk about having your heart ripped out. And not just our family was devastated, his was as well, because there had been no history of violence. Two families just totally devastated. Now let's fast forward a few years, when I'm down one winter at Quartzsite, Arizona, walking in the desert, and uh, I, I got to thinking, isn't it interesting the number of things I, I'm thinking in the Bible, all the stories of what happened in the desert. I'm walking in the desert, my wife wasn't feeling well, so she wasn't with me that day. God put it in my heart to go back to Connecticut to see him in prison, to tell him that we'd forgiven him. Well, I'd already written a letter to that. And the first thing I did is start arguing with God. I said, God, do you know how far it is from Oregon to Connecticut? Well, I guess he did because he wouldn't let me off the hook. So I went back to the motorhome and I said, honey, guess what? God's telling me we need to go back to Connecticut uh, to see Ted in prison and tell him that we've forgiven him. And what a sweetheart. She said, well, when do we leave? Mm -hmm. Wow. 
54 years. She's a keeper. So anyhow, we did go back. And uh, when we got back from that trip, a friend of mine who's a, a pastor in Washington who would occasionally invite me to come to his church to preach asked me to come up and preach, I think, because he wanted to get me up there. He wanted to hear all about what's going on. And in the middle of all this, he says, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. I said, what? He said, you need to write a book about this. Oh, dread just hit me. Because there was a man in our Thursday morning Bible study who had been writing a book for seven years. He'd been writing a book. And I'm going, oh, I don't know anything about writing a book. But before the weekend was over, he and God had convinced me that that's what I was supposed to do. So I sat down, three weeks, this book was written. So obviously I didn't do it. God just used my hand. Now, I'm not going to tell you everything that's in this book, which is basically everything that I went through on my journey from hate, yeah, there it was, hate, I'll admit it, to forgiveness. And you can read about that uh, in the book. And there's, uh, I was telling pastor at the Lord's leading a few years ago, I stopped selling them, and I put envelopes in the front. If you want to donate to help me cover the cost of printing those, that would be great, but it's not required. They'll be down here, stacks of them right down here. You can get them afterwards. If you are Kindle people, you can go on Amazon and get the, the uh, Kindle version of it. It's entitled Ultimate Betrayal, A Testimony of Forgiveness. What I want to spend a few minutes this morning is sharing with you some things I've learned about forgiveness from the process that I've gone through. Corey Tenbloom said, quote, when we forgive others, we often bury the hatchet, leaving the handle out for future use. And when I first read that, I kind of smiled. I thought, yeah, yeah, that, I look back at my life, I thought, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. It's just natural for our flesh to want revenge. That's a natural kind of thing from our, we have grown up in it. Those of you that are, that are near my age or, or, or around that, you know, I, I grew up with Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and, and the bad guys and the good guys and the good guys get the bad guys and yeah, it feels good, you know. And revenge feels good to our flesh. That that's, can actually be a lust, but what does the Bible say about the lust of the flesh? Crucify the lust of the flesh. And how do you do that? You don't feed it. You don't feed it. So why do we need to forgive? Well, we can start very easily from Scripture. Something that you've all said probably hundreds, those of you that are my age or older, maybe thousands of times, a little something in Matthew 6 called the Lord's Prayer. Now in that is a little word, when I started doing a study uh, for preparing my book, uh, I found in, in that scripture a little word that I hadn't noticed before, but it has huge ramifications. That word is as, which means in the same way or to the extent. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or trespasses, whichever you say, uh, we're saying uh, forgive us to the extent or in the same way that we forgive others. Well, I want to tell you, the first time I looked at that, I just didn't feel real comfortable about that. I don't know if I want to really pray that way or not. That's kind of, put, you know, putting the rubber to the road. I thought, oh, I know. There must be a mistake. So my wife had given me a New Testament with eight translations, and I went and looked up all eight of them. Nope. Nope. 
Couldn't change it. It meant exactly what it said. Went back to my, my Greek books from seminary, looked up the Greek. Well, no change there. I guess it means what it says. And then, if that isn't strong enough, a couple verses after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus puts it pretty clear in Matthew 6, 14, 15, when he says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Well, back in the 70s, there was something called, you know, warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. Well, that's one of those verses that's kind of a cold prickly one. That doesn't make you feel real warm and comfortable. But remember that God is not trying to withhold forgiveness to get back at us. No, Jesus is making a, deep that run, a point that runs much deeper. He, it's simply impossible for us to understand and to desire to live in the stream of forgiveness and reconciliation and mercy with God and not want that for other people. See, Matthew 5.48 in, in, in the NIV says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. But I think the Amplified Translation does a little closer job from the original Greek, and it says this, you therefore will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's a process. Also, Chronicles 28, 9, it says, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands the desires, every desire and thought. So as I put these together, the conclusion I come to is if we refuse to do our part and even begin, refuse to even begin the, the forgiveness process, then God won't do his part. See, we cannot love completely with unforgiveness in our heart. And after all, what does the Bible tell us to do? Love the Lord your God with half your heart, three-quarters of your heart. How much? All your heart, all your heart. Love and unforgiveness are the opposites. I think it was Dr. James Dobson who said that most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. See, unforgiveness begins as an offense. And the word offense comes from the Greek word scandalon, which is part of an animal trap. Well, you know, you have the little bait in there and a trip wire hooked to the door. When the animal takes the bait, bingo, trips the wire, the door shuts, and they're trapped. Well, offenses are the devil's trap to draw you into anger, into bitterness, resentment, and thereby keeping you from experiencing that kingdom living. Don't get suckered in because it's a sucker's play. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if Satan can steal our peace and joy, he steals our strength and makes us more susceptible to temptation. I think that's one of his ploys, one of his plans. Now, do you begin to see why God wants you to forgive? It grieves his heart to see his children suffer unnecessarily. And when you're carrying unforgiveness around, you are suffering unnecessarily, and it's grieving God's heart, because he wants the best for you, and that's not the best for you. Many people don't understand that you can control your mind and your emotions. And actually, you, you may not be able to control what comes into your mind, but you certainly can choose whether to let it stay and entertain that thought or 
to pass it on and get rid of it and replace it. The first time I heard this concept, uh, the speaker said, now, he, he challenged everyone. He said, now, tomorrow, when you first get up, as often as you can that day, start paying attention about what's going on in your mind. What are you thinking about? And whenever you notice that you're thinking about things you ought not to, and you know what things you ought not to be thinking about, then replace it. Replace it with something joyful, a scripture, a little praise song. Well, I just learned a little praise song called, The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Maybe some of you have heard that. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. You know I must have sung that song 500 times. I was just blown away at how many wrong thoughts were going in my mind. I'd never known that before. Nobody ever told me that before. Wow, that was really something. Now remember, not controlling your mind is a much easier choice, but it is still a choice. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So what happens when we don't forgive? Well, medical doctors and mental health professionals have estimated that from 60 to 90 percent, 60 to 90 percent of the physical and mental emotional problems of people seeking their help are due to the results of unforgiveness over time. In her book, a Christian research scientist by the name of Caroline Leaf, she wrote a book called Who Switched Off My Brain? She has been studying the effects of toxic thoughts and emotions on the human body and reviewing research around the world for 30 years. And she said medical science has now proven that these emotions can trigger immune system disorders because they weaken the immune system, such as diabetes, cancers of various types, asthma, allergies, Crohn's disease, heart disease, fibromyalgia, and in the central nervous system they can cause results in depression, phobias, panic attacks, fatigue, insomnia, anxieties. She said medical science has, has shown, proven conclusively, that our bodies function best when we're at peace. What did Jesus say? Peace I give you. My peace I give you. Again, I say, do you see why it grieves the heart of God to see his children needlessly suffer when we don't learn to become quick to forgive? So how do you forgive? Well, Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind and keep it set. It's called a mindset. Make a quality decision that you're going to do that and monitor it daily and then tap into your spiritual strength from God to help you do that. Now, I've learned that I've got a little back issue and my physical therapist says, when you first wake up in the morning, just grab your knees around your chest and hold it for about 30, 30 seconds or a minute. Well, I find that's a good time to, to, to thank God for the day and a good night's rest. And if I'm having any issues with somebody, say, Lord, you know I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I need your help today to get through this. So whenever, whenever these thoughts come against that person who did that to me, and you all know you're going to have lots of opportunities, and dare I say, some of you may have even come here today not real happy with the person you came with. Can it be that bold? Oh, we got some honest people. You're smiling. Good, good, good. Okay, um, rule your emotions instead of letting them rule you. Remember, it's not about your feelings. It's about a being obedient to God's word. And if you do this, if you'll be obedient, then your feelings will catch up. Pray for your enemies. 
Now, to someone who's not a longtime believer, I'm sure the first time you read that in your book, if you've come from, just come out of the world into, into this thing called the, uh, Christian living, that's got to seem like the dumbest thing in the world. Pray for your enemies? Are you kidding me? That's the last thing in the world I want to do. But you know, I found out something. I'm going to give you a little teaser on the book. There's another incident besides this that somebody did to me intentionally, probably the closest I've ever come to pure evil, that actually took me longer to forgive than it did my son-in-law for murdering my daughter, if you can believe that. But here's one thing that I learned. Out of obedience, because again, there was nothing in my flesh that wanted to start praying for that person, just like there wasn't, you know, when, when, when he wrote me a letter and asked me, to forgive him, or he said something to the fact, I know you'll probably never be able to forgive me. After some period of time, I did write a letter, but what I said was, Christ in me forgives you. Now, at the time, I didn't understand what, what that was. Now I understand what I was doing. I was being obedient to God's word, although I was having to force myself to write that letter because there's nothing in my flesh that wanted to do that. But I knew what scripture said, and I knew and trusted that God knew what he was talking about, even though it didn't make any sense. But in the second scenario, I learned that each time I prayed for this person, my anger got less and less and less. So as you pray for your enemies, you're, 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 you're helping yourself, which, by the way, forgiveness is for you. And you're also releasing prayer. You're praying for them. You're, you're releasing God's power into their life. So it, it works, it's, it's, a, it's a double action, and it's really great. Um, it's also important to remember that hurting people hurt others. We forget that sometimes. You know, we like the mercy of God, right? And remember, by definition, mercy is not fair. Aren't we glad that God is merciful, that he doesn't give us what we deserve? And that's when, when you start praying for others, then you will begin to feel these thoughts of being more merciful as God is to you. Not because they deserve it, just because you're obedient. And it works to your favor. And eventually to theirs too. Again, um, oh, another thing that's important I want to remember is it's important to forgive yourself. Okay? It's important to forgive yourself. I couldn't figure out why on earth God wanted me to drive 3,000 miles all the way from Oregon to Connecticut. But when we got there, it took about five minutes to discover why. When we last saw this young man, he was a virile young man, healthy, big head of hair. When we saw him, he looked like a haggard year old, 70 year old, completely bald. And I thought, what had happened? Because I knew that he had given his life to the Lord in prison, and he was, he was even ministering to other prisoners. But wh what's going on? Well, I soon found out. He had asked us for forgiveness. He had asked God for forgiveness. We had granted it. God had granted it. But he had not received it. He had not received it. I heard somebody say something one time on this issue that really struck home. They said, if you confess your sin to God, he forgives you. If you repent and confess, he will forgive you. But if you don't receive it and continue beating yourself up, then what you're saying is, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sin, but it wasn't enough. 
I thought, ooh, I don't want to say that. But I got to think about it. I thought, yeah, you know, if I confess my sin and don't receive God's forgiveness, then in essence, I'm telling Jesus, well, yeah, I know you died on the cross, but I have to add something to it. I need to beat myself up a little bit. Now, please don't mistake this. Don't get into the, what I call the vending machine kind of, uh, you know, forgiveness like, uh, okay, here's my dollar. Sorry, God. Okay, here we go. And forget it. No, there, there needs to be some remorse. There needs to be some, you know, Holy Ghost remorse. You need to be sorry for what you've done. But, you know, if you're dragging yourself down and not allowing that, that's not what God wants. That's why, he, that's why forgiveness is available, so that you can be cleansed and go on. He's got work for you to do. And if you're down in the dumps, you, you can't be doing what he wants you to be doing. You know, and you're, you're grieving his heart because you're hurting yourself needlessly. Okay. Um, back in 2006, maybe many of you remember before public shootings became an almost daily occurrence, there was a, an incident in the Amish country of Pennsylvania at, a, at an Amish school called the Nickel Mines. Many of you may have heard there was a book written about it called Amish Grace, and they made a movie about it, incredible story. Um, here's what was said, well, this, if you hadn't heard of the incident, a man came into an Amish school, he sent all the boys outside, he lined up all 10 girls along the wall and shot all of them, and half of them died. Now, the mother of the youngest one who died, little Naomi Rose, five years old, the mother, Michelle, said this three days, three days after her daughter died while she was attending the shooter's funeral. She said this to a reporter afterwards. She said, she was so beautiful. It really made me angry. I wasn't angry at Charles, the shooter. I was mad she was dead just mad at the evil and this is what her father said i am so angry at the evil and the suffering the evil caused he went on to say it's okay to get angry but don't hit the horse don't kick the dog don't punch your brother if i hold a grudge for one day it's bad if i hold it for several days it's worse if i hold a grudge for a year that person is controlling my life. Why not let go of the grudge and be free? I remember six years ago when God put on my heart to do one of these national speaking tours that we're on now, there was a little 90-year-old lady in Arkansas came up afterwards, tears in her eyes, and she said, it's been a long time since I've been 16. I guess it's time to let it go. You know, and I, I get stories like this all the time, and that's what keeps this 75-year-old body trucking on down the road in a 20-year-old motorhome with 214,000 miles on it, dragging a 17-year-old car with 200,000 miles on it, and trucking on down the road. It's those kind of stories that I know somehow or another somebody got the message. Somebody was freed, and I'll tell you, that is tr really a story to rejoice about and I pray that happens here today today's anger is okay tomorrow's anger is toxic in one of his sermons several years ago our former senior pastor Dr. Jim Hazlett said when you remember an offense and the pain and the anger is gone then healing is complete remember 
Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. Now, at the beginning, I ask you all to get a little piece of paper. Now it's time to do something with that piece of paper. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, <clears throat> if there's anything left of my voice, I'm going to attempt to sing a little song a friend of mine, a 90-year-old friend of mine in the Dalles composed on forgiveness. And while I'm doing that, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the name of a person or persons that you want to start the forgiveness process with. And because I don't want anyone to know whose name is on that piece of paper, if anybody happens to see that, I just, this is between you and the Lord. So I want you to put just one letter of their name. If their name is Mildred, you could put an L. If it's Bob, you could put an O, you know, just one letter. Now, if you are truly living high in kingdom living and you can't think of anybody that you need to start the, pro the, the forgiveness process with, praise the Lord. Then, so that everybody participates, just put a one down. Just put a one down or some kind of mark. That's your commitment to the Lord that you're going to be and maintain your ability to be quick to forgive. If somebody offends you, your goal is to be quick to forgive. And then, if you are able to bring those down here, and my wife and my beautiful sister, someplace, there she is, Barb, uh, will give you a piece of tape, and you can just tape that to the cross, and then when, when we're done with that, I'm going to pray over those, and then we'll be done. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and start asking the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the names of those who you would like to for forgive. The first time I did this at a women's prison, uh, I went and, and took the, uh, they wouldn't let me bring a cross like that in there, so I had a little cardboard one. And when I went to uh, take the papers off, I noticed that both sides of the papers were filled. That said a lot to me of, from these women in prison. There was a lot of anger there. Okay, and feel free to, whenever you're done, come up. Don't, you don't, don't, uh, don't wait till I'm finished, just while, it's, while ever you're. <clears throat> Forgiveness hurts. Forgive the hurts that others may have caused you. For God has said there is no other way to break the chains of pride that hold you captive. So you can see ahead a brighter day. Forgiveness frees us so from pain and sorrow. Forgiveness opens prison doors for me. The Lord as he was hanging on that cross so long ago forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Why do we dwell on things that only hinder? When God is there, his glory to behold. But we are prone to offer ceaseless chatter. Instead of leading lost sheep to the fold. Forgiveness frees the soul from pain and sorrow. 
Forgiveness opens prison doors for me. The Lord, as he was hanging on that cross so long ago, forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Forget the past, it really can't be altered. The road ahead is where we want to live. So turn and try to face a new tomorrow. And then in all you do learn to forgive. Forgiveness frees the soul from pain and sorrow. Forgiveness opens prison doors for me. The Lord, as he was hanging on that cross so long ago, forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Forgive the hurts that others may have caused you. For God has said there is no other way to break the chains of pride that hold you captive so you can see ahead a brighter day. Forgiveness frees the soul from pain and sorrow. Forgiveness opens prison doors for me. The Lord, as he was hanging on that cross so long ago, forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Forgiveness frees the soul from pain and sorrow. Forgiveness opens prison doors for me. The Lord, as he was hanging on that cross so long ago, forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Forgave all his tormentors, don't you see? Got a few more here. Thank you for everyone participating in that. I appreciate that. And if we run out of books, we'll go out to the car and get some more, if we have some more. Six years ago when I was doing this, I was uh, in a church in LJ, Georgia, and uh, the pastor had asked me to do my presentation in the morning, and then there was an evening service, and he wanted me to do an expanded one on anger in the evening. So as I was getting set up to do the service, this lady came, she said, oh, do you have another book? I said, oh, yes, would you like another copy? She said, no, I'd like nine. Nine? He said, yes. He said, I'm going to a family reunion next month. We got a lot of anger in our family. I read it this afternoon. I'm buying one for everybody. So, Okay.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've been hurt. We've all been hurt. And some of us, Lord, have been hurt real bad. And if we haven't yet, more than likely, we will. Lord, you grieve when we just carry this garbage, this toxic stuff around. And Lord, I thank you for the obedience of your children today, being willing to start that forgiveness process. And Lord, we know that it is a process. And no matter how long it takes, you're right there. You're with us all the way, Lord, supplying the strength that we need. And we thank you for that. And again, I thank you for the obedience, and I thank you for the chains that are going to get broken from starting that process today, Lord. I give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen.